You're listening to Theology Untucked with Tim and Caleb. Our aim, as always, is to help the people of God understand, love, and enjoy the Word of God. For more information, visit us at theologyuntucked.com. Welcome to another episode of Theology Untucked with Tim and Caleb. The title of tonight's episode is Realism versus Idealism in Christian Theology. And now, here are your hosts and theologians verum, Tim and Caleb. <laughs> hey, Caleb, what's going on tonight? Theologians verum, huh? Yeah. Real. You're supposed to flip real the R like that? I've never been clear on that with Latin. Real. Means real. <laughs> are you real? Uh, well, you know, it depends. If uh, Depends on who you're asking, I guess. But uh, yeah, if you ask me, pretty pretty real, I suppose. Oh, goodness. Heck of a week. Yeah. How yeah. are you liking the outcome of the uh, election, eventually, that we might someday learn about? Um, I haven't really paid attention. Um, Same. <laughs> for the past four years, you know, it's been, it's going to drop tomorrow. She's going to do, do, do tomorrow. Um, and Oh, you mean on the right? Yeah. I mean, just like, yeah. and, and so like, I haven't even, I, apparently they've got some interesting evidence. Um, yeah. But to be honest with you, I'd don't i don't know i don't think it's gonna i don't think it's gonna gonna change it doesn't Um, seem like it would it's kind of like schrodinger's cat for me you know uh is it actually evidence uh if it's not released uh is it is it damning or is it not yeah i don't know it's it it seems like a lot of smoke and mirrors at this point and uh well it's been that way for you know yeah for four years uh and i'm i'm talking about q q the q anon phenom uh, cult that's been going on, and so it it is a cultural cult, man. I tell you, it's it's one of those it's one of those that really took on uh, uh, ahead of its own, and all sorts of different. It's like a hydra; <laughs> it just spawns on all these different uh, theories and uh, things that people just tantalize their their theories with. It's pretty amazing. Both sides have them, and man i if if you're thinking this level of stuff is going on on the other side of the aisle or, or whether right or left and and it comes from both directions you know you think everyone's hopelessly racist on one side and then the other ones you're you're all part of these death cults this on the other side and it's just like uh the discussions of unity and so forth how you ever have unity in a culture in a situation like this where everyone thinks the absolute worst about each other I don't know, but don't know. if we could get the Trumpers to read the Bible as often as they do the Q drops, maybe we <laughs> might be in a little bit different state in our country than what we are. Yeah. I don't know. Goodness gracious. Uh, how's school going for you? I'm having a little hard time keeping up with everything right now, honestly. Yeah, um, it's good. I mean, I'm my projects have been turned in on time. So that is a, that's a big deal. Uh, (laughs) Um, especially compared to last semester where it was just really difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, uh, in fact, my ministry assessment project, um, met with them yesterday. Um, that's actually going to be one of the main ministries that, you know, we're going to, um, be supporting on this show, uh, 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 discovering mercy, you know, as we kind of get that set up. So, um, cool. had a visit with them, you know, they're up in Pennsylvania. They do some incredible work. Um, so anybody listening to the show, if you'd like to support discovering mercy, um, go to discoveringmercy.org and you can donate. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll have other plans, you know, in the future that Tim and I have talked about on, Mm-hmm. Um, just ministries that we're going to be supporting here. Um, and anyway, so that's been going on. Have you picked out your text for te- your text criticism 
Like what yeah, verses? I did that. I did that first week of the semester because I was more excited about that than I was the ministry assessment project. Well, which... I did it too, except I had like twelve different ones, and I've been <laughs> switching back and forth. So I haven't nailed one down yet. Pretty sure I'm gonna do Acts 15, Jerusalem Council. Um, okay, all right, yeah. But what about you? What are you doing? So me, I I actually chose to do uh, Matthew 21. Uh, 42 through 44, which is one of my favorite statements of Jesus. Have you never read in the scriptures where it says, and then he quotes, um, he quotes Psalm 118. He says, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, given to the people producing its fruits. The one who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And so he, he quotes that passage from Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone that this was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Um, and so I chose this because the reality is Jesus is quoting from the Septuagint version mm-hmm. rather than the Hebrew. And so here referring to the Septuagint as scriptures and quoting it over and against the Hebrew, even though they disagreed with each other on a single word, um, is fascinating to me as a textual variant issue. So very uh, necessary as part of this semester of text criticism, um, but also really helpful for my dissertation because this is one of those passages that I'm going to be considering directly as an explicit reference of Jesus regarding the nature of the scriptures as translatable, uh, which is fantastic and really good news for us. It means that we have, uh, we have warrant to translate scripture. These types of things all lead to that. So this is one of the, one of those little gems that's going to be not whole hog brought into my dissertation but certainly all the research done for it is going to be uh imported so it's gonna be fun i'm i'm excited about it i'm also doing part of this part of psalm 118 as well so the text critical yeah so you're um, kind of you're going to be in both areas there correct yeah so it's just two verses up there as well so it's three verses here two verses there and so greek and hebrew both and then greek translation of the hebrew for the old testament so so mine, uh, I don't know if you're, I, I know you're familiar with the G- Jerusalem Council, but there's, uh, yep. you know, there's some interesting statements that, that James makes before and after. Um, some of it has to do with what we were speaking about, you know, last night um, in our class, where, you know, where, where it talks about um, the communal readings. Um, sure. And, and it sure. shows how that tradition's actually going way back. Um, but, but there's also these weird things that James, if you remember that or not in the Jerusalem council, what, what, um, Paul's to go back, um, and, and tell the churches on, you know, there's these like, they've, they've always been believed to be food restrictions. Um, and and I believe they partly are, but it's, it's written very ambiguously um, in an interesting word um, on strangled, um, and oh, in verse twenty, yeah. So hmm. there's there's some interesting ideal ideas there, um, but, but basically the long and short of it is um, the belief that by some um, it wasn't necessarily a culinary restriction as much as it was from strangling meaning because what happened is they would let their children die of exposure in that in that culture um and so what the romans did because they thought this would be better rather than letting that the infant unwanted infant dying from exposure they would strangle the infant so wait, this isn't in reference to your your contentions is that that's not in reference to the meat itself, that's in reference to kids. Well, so there, there's a couple of articles that I've written on it. Uh, I mean that I've that I've read on it that they make a really good argument. My thought is that the text is written in such a way by Luke, ambiguously on purpose to deal with. Huh. Two different audiences. So he's actually, you're saying that it's kind of got a double meaning there. Uh, with yes. The, because it is a strange way to talk about it in the fact that he doesn't 
say strangled meat or strangled animal or meat from strangulation or something like that he just says from what has been strangled here that's an interesting well so the reading that as we have it in our english um translations says you know that the greek grammar is correctly correctly interpreted as from things strangled and hmm. would make it to be like a culinary and and the word is niktos and and this word niktos for strangled is only used by Luke and it's only used in Acts and it's only used specifically in the three different areas of Acts where it talks about the Jerusalem council um and the word niktos did have some culinary overtones in the first, second century in Greek. But but then there was also some overtones of what that word used in infancy and strangling. And the grammar of the reading could also be rather than rather than from things strangled, it could be from strangling. But, Interesting because the other two references in the book of Acts, you're right. Uh, this is only occurring in Acts. Correct. Uh, in bo- in all cases, yeah, it, it is side by side with, you know, food sacrificed to idols. But then it's also side by side with sexual immorality. Right. And that's really interesting. I've now here's the that. even crazier part that it's very very hard and difficult to prove. I have a hunch, <laughs> um, mm. but there's no way I, I'd be able to do it on this dissertation. Maybe I'll do it on another one. I believe he's hearkening back to Exodus twenty three nineteen and another ambiguous text that says there's a restriction um, to not boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've found evidence to where that language is a euphemism for basically a, a killing of a of an infant really yep i would be curious to see that at some point i mean i, I know this is what we're here talking about tonight, i know it's but, totally uh, weird but i know i, I, I love the rabbit holes that yeah. we get to go to sometime that's that's fascinating i would be curious to read your paper about that because that's uh i would like to see that case made that would be uh that would certainly change the way you interact with those things i mean i know that it seems to be the most straightforward reading would be to connect it with me but then you have these other ones here that like for instance in acts 15 you're there at the jerusalem council uh things uh what is it what look at the order of things here uh abstain from things polluted by idols from sexual immorality from from things strangled from things strangled and from blood so i mean that we automatically connect it with the latter rather than the former that's now think about the audience that it's going to you're you James right. is practically writing an ambiguous text. At least this is my argument. Purposely ambiguous. He's sending back with with Paul Silas. Um, and, and so I, I see it as Paul and Barnabas are going to be going back to the Gentiles and describing the letter and what it says. And then you also have Silas. Silas and who else was come? Silas and... There was another Timothy, person that was... Timothy, good. wasn't it? Is it Timothy? But yeah. I, I, I see that to, to there's Ephesus, also going to be... Or to Thessaloniki, right? You, you, yes. Yeah. You have, yeah, you have an Timothy audience of Gentiles, but then you they're there because of the Judaizers. And so you, you have another audience that James is trying to reconcile two groups. And that's huh. where, you know, it's actually, this is kind of going to go into our discussion of realism and idealism from a very practical standpoint i believe that james as a as a from a pastoral standpoint is trying to keep peace um and of course he writes it in Hmm. such a way that the that the jewish people will be like well we weren't able to get the whole (laughs) circumcision thing but hey we got four other restrictions so yeah yeah You, you know what's interesting is Huh. Yours would actually, your your interpretation, if you were able to actually prove that linguistically and even culturally, I would be curious to see the case because it would remove this almost redundancy that I've always seen in this verse 
with regards to things strangled and eating meat with his blood, which is almost exclusively what abstaining from blood means. Those are almost a redundant thing. If something strangled, it has the blood in the meat. If something has the blood, it's not been cut. It's been snuffed out another way, quite literally. So... That's that's really interesting. I would be curious to see even the negative case made that uh, that way through redundancy and unnecessary. Well, uh, and so there, there's both sides of it, and my argument is that they're both right and they're both wrong. My argument is it is both. Because interesting. There is proof of strangling from a culinary standpoint, young sheep and lambs, because you want to keep the blood and it makes the meat more tender, type of a thing. Mm-hmm. And and so it it makes sense that that the original ideas or whatever reading of it when you understand the culture, but it when you understand the other part of the culture and from a pastoral point of view, what James is trying to do, and if you look at the narrative that the whole time each time the Jerusalem Council is brought up, it's because there's more problems between. Paul and the Judaizers and the, this mm-hmm. Jerusalem council things brought up again. And they're also mm-hmm. always referring back to the law of Moses in Exodus. That's read communally within the, within the community of, of Israel. Anyway, yeah. To try to fit this into 12 pages, Caleb, because they, ain't Oh, no, no way. way. That's yeah. That's why I'm not doing it. <laughs> that's why I'm not doing it right now. That would actually be a really interesting, I mean, if the argument's been made before, obviously you couldn't do it, but I, Add that to your docket of dissertation topic possibilities. <laughs> yeah, about 37 different ones. So, yeah. realism and idealism. Let's get real. Are uh, you we don't real theologians the yet? <laughs> are we considered real theologians yet? Or, you know, or is honestly, theology I, untucked? Are we the ideal theologians? Oh, gosh, no. I think I think we're the essence of real theology. Just, just practical reality um and interacting with theology i i've i always admired rc Sproul, and i'm Mm. i'm missing him more and more these days um but i i'll never forget he was the first person that ever said that i heard um to say it in this way everyone is a theologian most of them are rotten ones yeah um everyone's a theologian and you know that that removes this idea of this prim and proper everything's all squared away and that's really kind of even the background of why we made this podcast was you know the idea of of theology untucked is this this you know okay all right you know jackets hung up you know you know the dress shirt uh you know gets gets untucked and you sit down for you know a drink at the end of the day and and just talk about talk about stuff and um i think this is kind of the essence of just real practical theology how do we raise our children how do we think about elections what do we do with um workplace issues how do we how do we think about even the scriptures everything should come into this everything from creation all the way through the new heavens and new earth all the way to you know what kind of car are you buying you know, yeah. I mean, theology is all around us, and, and I think that's one of the things that we tend to forget. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and so, and, and I don't know about you, I, I think that you would probably agree with me. My, my pastor and I have discussed about this. Another brilliant person, Dr. Dean Registered, takes credit. Um, practical theology is hard. <laughs> I Very. mean, you you, you got you to gotta have the discussions— the difficult discussions you got to do a lot of really hard work um mm-hmm. exegetically and and, and then live and then live a human life and right. try to understand and, and make all of it make sense and then and then trying to communicate that to yep to brothers and sisters and, is very and ensuring that difficult. the and ensuring that the the directions are two-way streets with regards to realism and idealism so when we talk about like an idyllic theology we want to talk about so when we're discussing god or when we're discussing the scriptures yeah we want to be precise we want to be we want to be accurate we want to be clear we want to ensure that our uh, hermeneutics are lined up that that the scriptures are rightly explained 
in, in context and in broad context amongst the entire story of, of, of redemptive history. Um, and then our work isn't done. We can't just sit down and write about God and then go on and live our lives as if that does nothing. Because honestly, that just becomes emptiness. Um, just just rank knowledge about this. And, and we tend to it all the time uh, in, in doctoral studies. And we're surrounded by people who talk about things almost entirely in the theoretical. Yeah. Um, and, and all that does is just open the doors for bad theology to affect our lives rather than to actually have this crossover from good theology to hit the where the uh, uh, where the uh, proverbial uh, rubber meets the road. Um, and I mean, I think we ran into this a couple of weeks ago with with uh, a nameless lecturer at our school uh, who was drawing this distinction as if as if there is a, a mutual exclusivity between doctrine and relationship, as if Christ didn't come to teach us any doctrines or anything. He just came to teach us, you know, how to have better relationship. That's a doctrine. And of course it's a doctrine. It's it's just the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard someone say. And I I'm still punching myself for being absent that day and having to interact later because I would have I, I, I just I would not have let that go. I would have been a dog on a rope, just you can swing me around the room. I don't let him go of this one. There's no way you could possibly have such bad ideal theology just so that you can have bad real theology that feels good. The reality is Christ came and taught both relationship and doctrine and, and, um, yeah. <laughs> and well, and then what you think feels good actually ends up feeling really bad. When, yeah. when a bad ideal, a, a bad ideals, um, about how we think, uh, language would be ontologically about God and how he relates to us and how we're to relate to him. When, when, when that's not good, but makes us think that we feel good, it ends up making us feel really bad. Right. Right. Well, Sorry honestly, to get really we, ultra technical. Well, is if as Christians we followed God the way he is, would we not find our deepest joy there? rather than trying to remake him as we would prefer him to be. I mean, I, I pray this all the time when when our church comes together is, is God, we, we, we pray we worship you as you have revealed yourself to be, not as we would prefer you to be. Because I'll be honest with you, who God is, is not always who I want him to be. The, the, the life he lays out in front of me is not the one I wanted the the way he interacts with certain people, the people who he saves and the people who he passes over are, are not the ones that I would have saved or passed over. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've said it tongue-in-cheek for years. If I were God, I would have done this differently. So you guys better be happy I'm not God. <laughs> because... It, we make bad it, gods. I, we would make bad gods. That is correct. And and that that kind of comes down to this I, uh, this ideal and real uh, interaction. You know, we have this pursuit of this ideal almost sometimes at the expense. In fact, often at the expense of just real practical theology lived out. And and this becomes this bifurcation in our minds where, you know, we we spend our time in our books and in our studies and in our pursuits like this, and then we forget that all of this has a purpose, and that is to be lived out in the world. Um, because this is where God has put us and this is his world, you know, no matter how dark it gets, it's still his world. And we are his people living in, in one of his pastures, you know, and, and this is, this, this goes into how we are more realistic about how theology works. You know, we're not going to insist that at all points we're sitting here talking about the, you know, the economic Trinity or something like this, but you know, if that doesn't inform how you live and your decisions that you make, that what is it doing? Um, and then the other way around too, if your life is not interacting with on some level, your theology, and if your theology is not interacting with your life, are you honestly doing good theology? No, no, you're not. Not even realistically. Right. Even if you're right. Yeah. And, and here's, I, you and I both know and have been and sometimes still are theologians who are right and so and wrong. Yet, 
terribly wrong. Yeah. Yeah, so like it, as I was kind of going through this but before we started, um so, you know, I didn't I didn't know exactly where where you were wanting to go with it and but I mean I I, I mean I had a, a fairly good idea, but you know, as, as I'm just kind of looking, you know, the just the philosophical philosophical concepts of realism and idealism, you know, I'm I'm thinking experientially of you know, my the the journey that I've been on up until this point, you know, to to the time mm-hmm. that where you know, as a as a as a very young person believed in Jesus to to and and so there's a development in my ideals and my theology. Oh yeah. Um and of course everybody everybody's this way. You even see it in Paul's writings. You you see this theological development. You see it from Genesis as God's revealing himself um to man that as the narrative goes along, we it's like, oh, we've we've learned a little bit a little bit more from him. You know, if you can try to put yourself um in in, in whatever way possible into that ancient person who didn't who doesn't have all of scripture like the way that we have it. And and it you just kind of see the way that God's been revealing himself. And so but but I just I look at my experiences in life as you as you go through all this and I you know I for me I'm a very bipolar person anyway um, these pendulum swings of they get to be very dangerous um, and, and of course I you know I I think that we see this play out um, not only personally but corporately as a church of 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 a of a theology of that's on on the realist side that almost all but denies any of the supernatural aspects of it. They're they're mm. really just kind of more of ideas, and the Holy Spirit ends up being more of just an idea than an actual right. person. But right. but then you you swing on that other pendulum of, of idealism. Where you're either up in the clouds, or you you know you you can think of all these philosophical and theological concepts, but they're I mean, being able for that to translate realistically, or even thinking about how or why it should translate to us realistically in this world, is probably so. The pendulum swings are are dangerous. Uh, and that was why it was interesting that you know you see some theologians, some scholars that are out there that are arguing for a one side or the other pendulum swing, and I just definitely mm-hmm. disagree with that. And I was, it was interesting for me. I'm sure you admire Jonathan Edwards as much as I, but I mean he's like very much known for one of the idealistic theologians. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as for Americans concerned, I don't think we've actually ever produced a better mind than Jonathan Edwards. Not yet, anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, not to say he and I agree on everything, but uh, we certainly would sit down and uh, uh, enjoy some wholehearted conversation, that's for sure. I, I heard you mention earlier that, uh, you know, we we become Christians and we... Um, and, and you said, you know, as you became a Christian as a child, you weren't, uh, this uh, ideal theologian, you know, have all these things like that. My theology is probably better. Uh, <laughs> my yeah. faith was a lot better, simpler. And see, and that's kind of this bifurcation that I'm talking about is, you know, when, when, I, so six years I've been in seminary nonstop, you know, 12 months around the calendar. And I, one of the most surprising things for me in being a pastor before I went to seminary and in uh, being a Christian before I went to seminary, which I'm finding is a rare thing as well, um, is is realizing how much more simple the gospel has become for me mm-hmm. when I thought it was going to get more complex. Yeah, And I don't mean simple as in simplistic. I mean clarified. Yeah. And, and some of that is owed to my seminary. Some of that is owed to uh, Dr. Buckwalter. 
And some of that is owed to just going through theological training as a pastor. Because I got to see what the, what the good stuff was and how much fluff that just needed to be discarded. Like yeah. one of the classes we're taking this semester. You know which one. Uh, you know, just that can just be dismissed entirely because this is not going to be helpful. This is not going to work. This isn't going to be how that uh, actually plays out in the world. And and my my idealism has taken an enormous hit the past several years because I would I would look at you know the the concept of this secondaries and tertiaries of 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 theology. They weren't primary gospel level things you know, or the nature of scriptures, but we're talking about, you know, the issues of baptism or of communion or of, of fellowship with, with people that may be like-minded on the gospel, but, you know, they're so different than me, you know, in this way or in that way or in that way. And man, I'll tell you, uh, what, what we are going to face as a church in the coming century is going to require us to come off of these ivory towers down into the streets and do theology there. We, we've always supposed to have been doing this, but it's been capable of keeping this separation. And we have almost two completely different lines of discussion. We have our learned discussions where we quote people like J. Gresham Machen and, you know, um, and Cornelius Van Til and, and Soren Kierkegaard and, you know, it, it, you know, Immanuel Kant. And, you know, we, we work on this whole line of reasoning and thought and philosophical theological discussions and all this, that someone sitting in a pew not only has no idea what we're talking about, has never heard these names yeah. and doesn't care. And they just need a sandwich or a hug or... They need the gospel. They they need Jesus. They need the gospel. And 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 the discussions that are happening there. If 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 what's coming out of the pulpit is just the the scholarly stuff, not only is it going to fly over heads, and I don't mean that offensively. I mean yeah. th there are experts. Not everyone can be a doctor of theology. Not everyone is going to. The, the words that I use now when, when we're in class are words that I would not have understood six years ago or, or arguments that I would not have had the, the framework to build on. Um, and, and, but knowing the audience and knowing who we can do, how can we move from scholarly discussions on these things into the pew, into the streets where, where people are, are making decisions about their lives are, are interacting with a culture that now seems to hate them and they haven't really been prepped for that yet. They've just been taught, here's Jesus, he's true, he rose from the dead. And, and, and that's wonderful and that's true and that's great and they're Christians. And, but but there, there, is a, there is a thing coming that if anyone who studies history is opening their eyes in any way, you know where the patterns are going. We're not going to great, huge revival times. We're going to dark times. Where, where I, I would we're, say we are, but we're not. It's going to be dark, and there will be revival, but it's going to be through dark. Spotty, and it's going to be little sputters of light here and there. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be where you turn on your TV and you can understand, you know, a an agreement, a general concept of Judeo-Christian ethic. It's just not going to be there. And it's going to feel like a foreign world again uh, for the church. And every time that happens, the church grows stronger, mm -hmm. but it also becomes clarified and it gets smaller than at least the visible church. So th that that that's going to cause a coalescence of people that have disparate ideal theologies. It's very much like reading the minor prophets, not listening to... The modern day prophet, right, 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 because it comes down to th there's really at the end one thing that matters, and that is God, and all these other things, though they are important, secondaries, for instance, we need to learn to get along 
we need to learn to, to, to come together. I, I am sorry, but if somebody rightly preaches the gospel, and when I say rightly preaches the gospel, I mean I mean a pretty pretty straightforward set of set of things there. The secondaries that come after that, and I mean even really important ones like baptism, we need to learn to get along. Even admitting that we may both be wrong or one of us is definitely wrong. Well, and isn't that really part of the message of the author of Hebrews? Um, <laughs> you know, they're they're debating and talking about ritual wa- washings. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they're... they're they're still on the nipple of milk and they need to be, they should be eating meat by now. Right. Um, and I don't know. I, I make, I, I think I can make a pretty good argument that the best theologian ever was Jesus. And that seems fair. <laughs> seems fair. I, th- I mean, I think, I think I could make a pretty good argument for that biblically even. Um, but the way Jesus lived his life with those men, you see him, yes, he spoke to crowds. Um, he, he did a, a lot of things, but I, I just really love those intimate moments when he's with his 12 disciples. Um, you know, he's explaining his parables. You know, he, he'll say things to the crowds and then he's, He's with them, with, with, with those 12, and he's explaining that a little bit more. And then he even has a more intimate relationship with Peter, James, and John, and they get to see they get some to see some miracles in a way um, that the other disciples and, and no one else got to see. And so that that pattern of, of discipleship is was laid for for these for these men. They replicated it, um, and and I I just I, I see, but because of history and because I've been a student of history, and you just you know where you know where we're headed. Um, mm-hmm. it, if you've paid attention to just even the past couple hundred years, where we're headed is to a very dangerous place for humanity um it's 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 gonna be dark it's gonna be dark times um and talking about church strategy and idea like it's really gonna be little roaming pockets of small people that are trying to survive and and you know that's if Christ so, doesn't so come back. If if I can put this in the most um, sanctified pastoral sense, yeah, the church needs to pull its head out of its ass mm. because we we are tantalized with all of this crap, and we are just distracted to no end with our vision statements and our our mission statements and strategy and growing our stuff and getting getting the most books sold getting the you know the you know all of this uh, hey that's for another time because what what we're looking at that that comes in the future I have no doubt um with regards to just the historical cultural ebbs and flows of of what flow is about to happen um, because it it's and I don't mean this year I don't mean next year I I'm talking in the next century and 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 here's the thing is we usually have this this really childish way of thinking about the future as Christians in this country everything is fine in our life because our houses are comfy our our sofas are nice and so we're just kind of waiting here until Jesus comes back and so we'll vote properly until then we'll show up to our jobs and then jesus comes back and all will be well that is the most childish way to think about eschatology and unfortunately it has infected so many parts of the church in this land that it's just almost a given and yet it's almost certainly not true yeah that's not kingdom work and i'm guilty right um right it's not kingdom work right and so what do we do what what here's the thing 
almost almost every generation of the church, there's been an argument that that the return of Christ will happen just about then. It's going to happen real soon. I have had people argue to me directly in ideal theology circles uh, that you know the life of the Christian should be lived as though Christ were coming back at any moment. I disagree. I disagree. I think it ruins what we're here doing. I, I think there is there is a lengthiness to the attitude of the Christian walk that we need to be mindful of future church history. We we have a responsibility. We the Jewish people were taught this. Yes. They were taught this in a way that 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 they understand Christians the long game. Right. We don't. Yeah. And we like a sprint, not, not an endurance long marathon. No, we like to talk about how good we've been running. Yeah. And 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 whether or not we're in the right lane. That that's all we like to talk about. We don't actually like to talk about what the goal is or how much how much track we have left. And and I, I it's amazing to me how many Christians have never considered what if church history goes on for another thousand years? Yeah. What role do you and I play in it? What if people will be quoting us 500, 600, 700, 800 years from now? What will they be learning? Who will they be? What gospel will they have? How do we ensure that we pass it down properly? Yeah. What I mean, what what tradition will my child and her children and their children what what mark right. it are are am, am I going to personally leave on this world that's that says Jesus the gospel it, and but is it going to carry on? Our youth groups are determined to entertain and distract the future church rather than to raise them up in the primaries and prepare them for a world that you and I have not experienced yet. Well, that's an and interesting concept. So did that develop in your opinion because of ideology? You know, so a lot of people are going to argue for, you know, I, I would like my child to fully be homeschooled and or go to a nice, safe, ritzy, private Christian education. But she goes to a public school. So there's one side of, of the world that's going to say, you know, she's going to be ruined by the ideology of the secular world. Well, I... I disagree. So I'm like, no, not if I do my job. That's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. And I say that as someone who's homeschooling his daughters this year, and they were public school last year, and I I hope they're public school next year. Uh, I, I was homeschooled all the way through as well, except for like kindergarten and first grade. Other than that, I was homeschooled all the way through as well. I'm, I'm well aware of the benefits and of the costs of such, and the same goes on the other side. And if you think for one damn second... That homeschooling your kids verifies that they're going to be well-behaved Christians their whole life. You are dead wrong. I got some friends to introduce you to, and <laughs> that's just not the case. Um, so the idea well, that's of a, and that's a, to... that's another that that the ideology and the, re, the 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 realism and the idealism right it ended up not being true but, right. because. But we keep telling ourselves that. Yeah. And and honestly, some some of these strengths that can come from interacting with a world that is so stinkingly different than than a Christian worldview um, might actually lead to stronger Christians in our children. Um, not not saying that that requires everyone to go to public school. Nothing. Here's the thing. These are all not even secondary or tertiary issues. These are so far down the road that that you know we're missing even the the concept that what does it mean to be a christian and that's not to grow up and live a moral life you know what what are we actually teaching our kids I mean, look at veggie tales for crying out loud i'm not talking about how accurate or accurate you know their their storytelling is i'm saying all they're doing is is teaching kids how to act like they are christians mm. they're not teaching them what it is to be a christian they're not giving them the gospel. There's nothing about the gospel in there. Nothing. Zero. And then what happens eventually, realistically, is at some point, 
you got to realize you're not in Eden and you got to walk out into the world. And so people have considered the United States for a long time to be a sort of safety Eden that as long as we do things properly and vote the right people in, it will continue being this thing for us and for our children. That is exchanging our eternal hopes for temporal ones. And they will fail us. And and this Every is time. where turning this 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 temporal stuff into eternal stuff is is just going to bite us in the backside because if if we are if we are having that kind of a view of our culture and then we are bypassing our responsibilities towards our children with regards to eternality then all we're going to do is just hand our kids over to the culture and just say well try your best and here's some really good habits to live a happy life and we're talking about a culture that no longer exists and our kids are just going to go off into the world we're not even going to give them a trade anymore because our cultures don't do that and we're just going to say try to find out what would best suit you try to figure out what you are interested in doing and try to figure out what makes you happy well guess what you just raised a pagan And I don't care that you took them to youth group every Wednesday night or every Sunday night, or you took them to church every Sunday morning. Because it's you not witchcraft. It's not magic. It's not a spell. Yeah. It doesn't. A pagan work that like hasn't that. yet read Harry Potter, therefore they're safe or something. Right. <laughs> and but and then they're they're you know if they happen to watch a Harry Potter movie, they're not damned to hell either. <laughs> so. But, this is what I mean. So like with Harry Potter. I watched it with my girls. Mm-hmm. And no, I did not sit and pick apart the theological ramifications of that. Nope. You weren't scared that Couldn't care Harry ha- didn't cast like a spell on you or worried that your kids were going to start becoming witches? No. Why is that? Um, did you get a brain? Yeah. Uh, Probably because I know the scriptures and I know what actual witchcraft is and know that watching a movie about it is as nonsensical as anything. And honestly, the entire time I'm sitting here just looking at the architecture and going, man, I wish we still built like that because those are awesome. <laughs> it, it's, it's so lost on us. <sighs> and I, I think that's kind of what, what we're talking about is these these two extremes um correct and, and of course we you know we we've, we've talked about this before you know so i see i see a a a liberalism and a fundamentalism they're mm-hmm. they're really they're really one and the same they they are opposite reactions using the same philosophical background so let's correct. talk about it a little more idealistically they're both modernists correct they're both modernists. One is liberal. One is the conservative. Neither one of them, of them CNN. Are one of them's Fox News. Right. Neither of them are Christian. They're both ain't owned by Satan. Right. And and this happens in theology as well. Liberal yeah, theology, absolutely. Conservative theology. Both of them are modernist. And and neither of them are necessarily Christian. They can be accidentally so, but they speak Christianese. Right. It does not automatically mean just because someone's a conservative Christian that they are a Christian. <laughs> yeah, you know, that that kind of terminology needs to kind of settle in our minds a bit more that being a Christian is a lot more basic than than how it plays out in theology or anything like this. Because let's be honest, there have been Christians all throughout history, not just the ones that live with us concurrently. Not a single one of them would have agreed with me theologically, politically, socially, or anything else. In fact, you would be hard-pressed to go through all of church history to find anyone who agrees with me on all these things. Yeah, even I don't agree with you on everything. Right, right, I know, I know. Even me? You're a crazy Trumper, and I think that there's... (laughs) No, I'm not. No, I know you're not. (laughs) I just... We, we, we make such huge issues out of temporal things. Yeah. And then we turn around and 
when we go to school or something, we make such huge issues out of eternal things, but then those two roads seem never to meet. Hmm. And you just, you just interchange back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this is and and we're gonna we're gonna have to do another episode on this because yeah we're, we're definitely are um because because the responsibility that we have is we we have stuff to hand down to the next generations and i see it all the time with 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 learned people is the the types of students that are becoming phds and thds now are garbage and who's going to do the hard work of handing this stuff down even just history Who's going to do the hard work? Nobody wants to do hard work. Nobody knows what work is. Yeah. We don't know what research is. We think going to Google or YouTube is research. None of that is research. Nobody wants to do hard work. It's interesting that you brought that up too because I, we, e- even if it is just going to Google University, mm-hmm. we've got all of this technology at our fingertips. To do all sorts of things, um, do a podcast, to be on YouTube, to do research and just, you know, I, I mean, it, it doesn't even have to be a spiritual concept or idea. We've got all of this technology at our fingertips as the body of Christ. And how is it that we're using it? To, to distract us. That's what we're using it for. That's what we're using it for. We're, we're, we're not using it. Like, oh, it's going to improve our lives, this, it's going, yeah, it's going to make things easier and so forth. But in the end, mainly to distract us. Well, and is that part of maybe the the postmodern atheist? It doesn't maybe gets it right as far as like they embrace some, they embrace some things and use it in a way that is, you know, beneficial for them either personally and or for a, a bigger a, a bigger idea, even though the ide- ideology is off and wrong. Should we be embracing some of the things that we're not and we're scared to because we look at it like it's witchcraft? Give me an example. Well, I mean, let's just say, for for example, just being able to use the internet. I mean, you know, oh, there yes. is. So know, yeah, I mean, yeah. I talked with this about. Uh, I talked to this um, topic uh, to my uh, class on Thursday nights. I teach a class on church history. Reading my Bible where, on my YouVersion app, where I can do right. a bunch of awesome stuff. Right. So I talked about this this reality that that Christians uh, have had had this weird response to technology wherein we um we judge one's theological acumen by how long they are able to lag behind the culture in technological acceptance you know when the radio came out that was just going to be this this source of horribleness where the world can get in but then the tv came out and now that's the idiot box and so the real you know good christians still just listen to the radio and then, you know, computers come out and, well, you know, and, and, and cable, well, I, I still listen to broadcast TV. You know, it's better than that. You know, we just, we judge this, this, almost look at this lagging behind culture as, as, a, as a moral good, which is such a weird way to think about it. You know, and the most moral of it all is the Amish. You know, they can get away with hardly any of our cultural um, things and that I mean we just really look up to them even though we disagree with them and it's just such a remarkable way that we think about these things the reality is I, I you know I'd say this to my history class all the time I, I say look whenever you're looking at things like this these things are not good things they're not bad things they're things they're things can they be used for good then use them for good if they cannot then don't if they can only be used for bad, stay away from them. I don't know of anything that's exclusively and only bad uh, uses. Um, I have no idea. So, but with regards to technology, there's always good that can come from it. it so and it's kind of like you know, in metallurgy, 
for instance. That, that's the field that I'm in. Well, and then the Bible talks about this same kind of idea. And so that's kind of where Tim and I are going with this is, um, you know, there, there's a point to where, you know, supposedly the, the fallen gods, and it really doesn't matter if it's paganism or Christianity, the idea of the ancient Near East that, you know, metallurgy was given because for plowshares for them to plow their field, but then they end up, well, was, was metal evil? Well, because what happened is they end up changing that plowshare into a weapon of war and then that kills people. So well, right. well metal's evil or metal's good. No, it's, it's metal. Um, yeah. And of course, when he talks about the kingdom, that he uses the same Im- imagery of you know they're gonna they're gonna um, you know beat their sword. They're gonna go from swords to plows, plowshares, plowshares yeah. meaning that we're gonna be working in the kingdom. Um, yeah. Their spears will be you know pruning hooks. Um, so that this whole idea now that doesn't happen until. The kingdom part of the not yet is fulfilled. It is present, right, right. Um, but the kingdom now part is evil still exists. But what we're, I, I guess what we're saying and, and what you're saying too is, is the measure of what we say is evil and not evil or good and not good and placing that to really inanimate objects and or even technology it's not good and or bad it it, it and it's and it's superstitious and witchcraft to put that much and that's what voodoo is it, you know the power that you're going to give mm-hmm. a, a, an idea or a concept and and we're the kingdom of Christ we have authority over that it has no power over us but yet we see these Ideas take a hold of us and scare us. And I've I've been there. I I mean I've I think I think we all have for being honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I mean the the answer, what the answer is exactly, we'll probably get into a little bit more next time. But yeah. what it isn't is Ludditism, mm-hmm. avoiding all of these things and running away from stuff. Culture is inevitable. You can't run away from it. Um, and how to interact with it well and real and on the road is 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 a worthy pursuit uh, to consider even more so. So I think we're gonna meet together for another episode about this because um, you know, good what, idea. What, what is contingent upon us if we've got a thousand years more left of the church before the return of Christ? What do we do with that? You know. I mean, by that time, our countries will be gone. Our our constitutions will be in the in the dust bins of history. Will be gone, maybe. Will be gone unless they can figure that but out. But the word of God will still be here. Yes, it will. And and so, what do we do to ensure that this continues to carry on? And and how do we interact in the midst of this, especially as we go into what seems to be much more of a dark season than than a bright and open season? We'll see how that goes and. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that much more next time. Maybe we'll have a untouched. president by the next time we speak, or maybe uh, so, or knows? maybe we won't, or <laughs> who knows? Well, and does it matter? Yeah, well, it matters in the short yes term, and no, but in the eternal. No, it doesn't. <laughs> All right, let me pray as we head yeah. Up. Our Father, we are grateful for. Uh, your word. We're grateful mm-hmm. that while we are surely just like grass, we wither and perish, but your word does not pass away. We pray, Father, not that our words continue on, nor that our legacies continue on, but only that your word continues on, that the gospel of Christ continues on, the legacy of Christians continues on. Uh, Father, you, we know that you build your church. We know that you do it in your way and in your time, that times of ease and times of difficulty both come from you. We should not expect only to receive good from you, but evil also. We know that this is the nature of the world that we live in. It has fallen. We have not even close received the things that we've deserved. We've received grace upon grace. And so, Father, we do thank you for 
that grace. We pray it extends to more and more and more around the world, regardless of culture or time periods or philosophies or backgrounds or anything else. We want those whom you have elected to come to salvation in Christ, no matter what suffering it means for us, no matter what road it means for us. We look forward to that end. We pray that you use us in any way you see fit. In your son's name we pray this. for listening to Theology Untucked. Join us each week as we engage in all things theological, biblical, and cultural. These are the types of conversations we should be having in the church today, and we aim to play our part. Also, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a question you'd like us to address, or a prayer request, please send them to us. You can reach me at Caleb at TheologyUntucked.com. Or you can reach me at Tim at TheologyUntucked.com. Do note that your prayer requests remain strictly confidential. We will not be sharing them on the show. For more information or to support the show, please visit TheologyUntucked.com. Lord's blessings to you all.